turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. This program is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church located in Los Angeles, California. Everything we do at Shepherd is based around John 3.14 that teaches us to lift up the name of Jesus that the world might believe. We want to come alongside you in your journey with God and help you become stronger in your faith so you can better serve Jesus and share him with others. Our pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with his message for us today. I want to take you back to the first church. Every person here, you're either male or female. You can trace your lineage back to the first male and female. You can trace yourself back to Adam and Eve, because they're the first two that were here. And likewise, the church we can trace our roots back to the first church. And the first church is in Acts chapter 2. It's the first church that's ever was created on this side of the cross. And a guy named Peter was the guy who preached the first sermon. It's a powerful sermon, powerful. As soon as he gets finished preaching, there's an invitation. And you have what's called the decision of the sinners. I want to read through some of this. If you go to Acts chapter 2, Let's look at verse 37. The Bible says, when the people heard this, heard what? Heard the sermon. They were cut to the heart. Now, that's a good sermon, all right? Sometimes I preach and people get up and walk out. Hey, that's a good sermon. (laughs) These people didn't run out. They asked a question. They felt so guilty. They said, what shall we do? I want you to say, what shall we do? And that's a good question. Every time you come to church, when the preacher preaches, when he's finished preaching, right when he's finished, you should say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? Peter replied in verse 38, four things. He tells us four things in there. Well, he tells us more than four, but number one, he says, repent. Everybody say repent. Uh, They heard the sermon. They They felt guilty that they had murdered Jesus. They said, what shall we do? He said, repent. Repent means that you turn from yourself and you turn from sin, and you turn to God. He said, turn your life over to God. Number two, he said, be baptized. Who's supposed to be baptized? Every one of you in whose name? Not in the name of Peter, not in the name of the church, not in the name of an organization, not in the name of a denomination. You are to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus uh, is the only name given to man under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus' name is above all other names. And when you get baptized, Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Number three, he said, your sins will be forgiven. Oh, that's good stuff right there. If you think about this, whatever you've done wrong, and some of you have done a lot of wrong things, and some of you have done some really, really bad things, 
that even today your heart is burdened with the guilt of what you've done. But in Christ, if you repent and you're baptized, according to Acts 2, your sins, no matter what you've done, can be completely forgiven. Now, you talk about a good deal. That is a good deal. Whatever you've done, however wrong it's been, however how often you've done it, if you repent and turn to God, you can start over again today. You can start over again today. And then he says, if you repent and you're baptized, you get your sins. He says, I got a gift. God's got a gift for you. And the gift is what? The gift is the Holy Spirit. God has a gift to give you. It's the greatest gift that's ever been given uh, besides Jesus Christ. That it, once you get saved, God, in fact, it's the, it's the actual, it's a part of being saved. God gives you his spirit. And that you say, well, if I become a Christian, I don't know if I can live right. Well, you can't live right, but the Holy Spirit's going to help you live right. And all God's people said. Now, verse 39, this promise, what promise? Well, the promise of your sins being forgiven. This, the promise of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's for you, your children. It's for all who are far off. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. I, 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 don't, I don't think there's any wrong with the preacher pleading. I'm unashamed to beg you to repent. To beg you, if you've never been baptized, to be baptized today. If you're sitting there right now in your sins, you need to come to Christ today. I beg, I plead for with you to come and have those sins washed away and receive this gift called the Holy Spirit of God. I beg you to do that. I think if you're a preacher and you're not begging, you're not doing your job. Not for money, but for souls. Someone say amen to that. Uh, he says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. I wonder what he'd say about our generation. Verse 41, those, now here's the decision of the sinners. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The church began with 3,000 people, day number one. So you have the delivery of the sermon, you have the decision of the sinners, and then we come to point three, which is what I, I want to talk to you about today. The devotion of those who got saved that day, those people who stepped out and made a decision for Christ, the Bible says that those folks were devoted. I want you to look at verse 42 and write a few things down. Verse 42, what's the very first word in verse 42? The word they. Now, who is they? You gotta get this, who is they? They are the 3,000. The 3,000, repentant, immersed, Forgiven, spirit-filled believers in Jesus Christ. So you've got to see this. They are the first Christians ever that were Christians uh, after the cross on the first church, first sermon. The second word in verse 42 is devoted. Everybody say devoted. I want you to say devoted. I want you to write this down because I want you to know what that word means. Devoted is that which receives your focus, your time, your energy, your priorities. If you're devoted to something, it will receive your focus, your time, your energy, and your priority. Now, in the Bible, that church in the first century, they did all kinds, of, they were involved in all kinds of things. They looked after widows, they looked after orphans, they fed the poor, they would start churches, they supported missionary work. 
They were evangelistic in nature. They did all kinds of things, but the Bible says that they, the 3,000, were devoted to four things. And they're all found in verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, number one. They were devoted, number two, to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And number four, they were devoted to prayer. I want to expound on them for just a moment. Number one, the apostles' teaching. I want you to write this down. When you see the apostles' teaching, that's the word. The word. This is where their focus was. Their time. Their attention. Their energy. Their priority. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, which means that whatever you're attempting to do, if you want to be thoroughly equipped for whatever it is that you're doing, you should be devoted to the Word of God because the Word of God is going to prepare you for that which you should be doing. They were devoted to this. Number two is koinonia, fellowship. Koinonia is really where we're all in this thing together. It's just not you sitting there, you come and you go. No, you're here and there's a team. we got a team. And we care for one another. It's all the one another's in the Bible. We love one another. We honor one another. We forgive one another. Uh, we encourage one another. All the one another's. That's koinonia. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, therefore encourage one another. Build each other up. That's koinonia. Number three, they were devoted to the breaking of bread which is communion, I want you to write this down, that is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul says to the church at Corinth, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. See, this is the apostle's teaching. Where did he get the teaching from? The words that the apostle gave, where did he get these words from? He got them from the Lord. He said that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. Verse 24, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And that's why whenever we serve communion, we always pray before we do communion. Why? Because we want to give thanks. Because Jesus gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks. He broke the bread, and then he handed it out, and he said to all the disciples, this is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me what that means is you should be giving thanks and realizing because what christ did he said it right there when i died on that cross that i died for you so when that time comes you should be thanking jesus that he you shouldn't be thinking about anything else except god thank you for sending jesus and jesus died for me that's all you should be doing during that time and then, and then verse 25, I never thought about this. He says, in the same way, after supper. You know, see, we, do it, we do it wrong here at church. Because it says, look, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, up to this point, you've all been saved by obeying the old covenant, the old testament, the old laws, all the rules and all the regulations. 
But this is the new covenant, the new testament, the new era. And when you hold that cup, I want you to think about the blood, that it's the new covenant. And whenever you drink this, you drink this in remembrance of me, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. And the fourth thing they were devoted to was prayer. I want you to write this down just in case you don't know. I know it's simple, but I'm a simple guy. Prayer is talking with God. And the first century church spent a lot of time talking to God. 1 Thessalonians 5 says that we need to pray continually. Now look at your chart again. That's column number one. That is the first century church, the first Christian church, the first group of Christians. They were excited. They were on fire. They had just been saved. They had just had their sins forgiven. They had just received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they devoted themselves to the teaching, the Word of God. They devoted themselves to koinonia. They devoted themselves to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they devoted themselves to talking to God. But that's column number one. Now look at column number two all the way at the bottom. What's at the bottom of column number two? The 21st century church. This is the normal church today. Write this down. They have man-made creeds, man-made doctrines, man-made names, man-made traditions. We do things and believe things that aren't even in the Bible anymore. But we teach them as fact. The Word of God is no longer our focus. It's the traditions of men that's important to us. Fellowship is zero. Write that down. There's no one really caring for anybody. The churches are too dead. They're too dry. They're too lifeless. There's no life in that church. Communion is rarely. Most churches take, uh, serve communion once a month, once a quarter, once a year. And most churches don't even serve communion anymore. That's column number two. What's at the bottom of column number three? Shepherd church. Write this down. Write this down, verse by verse, word by word, line by line. I've been preaching at this church almost 30 years. And not, not, I'm going to brag here. You're not supposed to brag, but I'm going to brag. Is that okay, brother? Not one time in those 30 years have you ever come to this church and I stood up to preach where you did not hear the words. Take your Bible and turn to such and such a text. You never not heard me say that. And if I get to preach another 30 years, I'll be almost 100. I don't know how old I'll be. But uh, every time you come to this church, you hear the preacher say, take your Bibles and turn to such and such a page. And sometimes we look at one word, spend a whole sermon on one word. Maybe it's a sentence, two sentences. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a, but we're, all, we're always studying the Word of God because I want this church to be built and be devoted to the God's Word, God's holy, precious Word. Koinonia, write this down, number two. Life groups, what is our fellow koinonia? It's our life groups, a life group. It takes place, koinonia is not happening now. We, we don't have time now to do it. Koinonia takes place in life groups. Number three on that list, uh, communion, every service. You, you think about it, we'll serve communion to 9,000 people this weekend. On Easter, we'll serve communion to 20,000 people. Why, why do you do that? Because I don't want you to ever forget what Jesus Christ did on that cross. It's why we're here. 
And number four, our prayers are from our heart. Our prayers are from our heart. I will tell you this. Column number two, churches that are lifeless, man-made rules, man-made creeds, no koinonia, not focused on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, reading their prayers out of a book, people are leaving those types of churches by the tens of thousands. And column number three, churches like Shepherd that are trying to get back to the church in the Bible, those churches are exploding all over the country today. They're exploding all over the country. Now, I want you to take your outline. I want you to turn it over. Down at the bottom of the circle, you'll see a cross. I want you to circle the cross, okay? I don't want you to lose where the cross is. Just to the right of the cross is a dot that says today. And this timeline is 2,000 years old. It's a circle, a diagram, history lesson. What I want you to do on your little diagram is I want you to go counterclockwise from today and go all the way back to the cross, 2,000 years of time. I, writ- I wrote it out for you in Acts chapter 2. The first Christians in Acts 2.42 were devoted to those four things. I want you to circle those four things. They were devoted to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. For about the first 300 years after the cross, it was against the law to be a Christian. Who was in charge of the world at the time of Christ? Who was in charge of the world? Rome. And what was Rome trying to do? What was their goal? To conquer the world. It was against the law of Rome to be a Christian for about 300 years. And then you have in the year 313, 313, the Roman Emperor Constantine. Some people think that Constantine became a Christian, and he might have. We don't really know. We know he had some type of conversion experience, but Constantine was the one in 313 who took off the restrictions of Christianity in Rome. He was the one who said it's okay to be a Christian in Rome. It was in the year 380, Theodosius I, you you can Google, you can Google this. He was the emperor of Rome who said and finally announced that Christianity would be the official religion of Rome. The Roman Catholic Church truly began around the 400s and the 500s. And for a thousand years, the whole world was Catholic. The word Catholic itself means universal. It was kind of the universal church. From about 500 to 1500, it's called the Dark Ages. Until something happened in the year 1517. A guy by the name of Martin Luther, he went to church in 1517 to a church in Germany in a town called Wittenberg. Martin Luther went to church that day and they were selling, the Catholic Church was selling indulgences. Now, if you don't know what indulgences are, I'll explain it. Indulgences are. You've been out sinning all week, committing all, all kinds of sins, and you could go to church and give them some money, and you were paying an indulgence. If you gave the money, your sins would be forgiven. That's what was being taught by the Roman Catholic Church. They were taking the money and using the money to refurbish St. Peter's Basilica. When Martin Luther saw all this, he went to church and he saw him selling indulgences, people's sins being forgiven for giving money, 
it made him upset. And so he wrote out what's called the 95 Thesis. And every single person, you need to Google and read the 95 Thesis. He takes those things and he puts them on the door of the Wittenberg Church and he nails them to the door of the church. And they're all just one line, two sentence things that say things like this. Our sins are not forgiven by paying indulgences. Only Jesus Christ can forgive a man of his sins. He wrote this, no man can forgive another man of his sins. A man's sins are only forgiven when he puts his faith in Jesus Christ. He said the Pope cannot forgive a man of his sins. Only Jesus Christ can forgive a man of his sins. He said things like this. He said, uh, we're not saved by doing good deeds or doing good works. A man is only saved when he puts his faith in Jesus Christ and comes underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. He said things. He said 95 things are all just like that. Every one of them. And to make a long story short, the Roman Catholic Church kicked him out. And they said this. I'll give you the date. November the 9th in 1518, the Pope condemned Luther's writings as going against the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Usually, someone from a Roman Catholic Church comes here, and the first time they walk in, they're like, oh, I don't know if I should be doing this. I'm going to get in trouble. I hope no one sees me. My parents would kill me if they knew I was walking in here. This is not a Catholic church. And little do they know that one-third of this church comes out of the Roman Catholic Church. I'm going to show you how many people are here that came out of the Roman Catholic Church. If you're here today and you or your family came out of the Roman Catholic Church, I want you to raise your hand real high right now and look around the room. Look around the room. Okay? Now, I hope that makes you feel better. You're not alone. When you came out of the Catholic Church and you walked into a, quote, Christian church, it's not that you're forsaking all of that. It's just that you know more now than you knew back then. And you, like me, will be held accountable for what you know. And what you've really done, and this is what I want, I said, I said all this to say this. When you came out of a Catholic church and you came into the Christian church on a timeline, what you did, you say, well, I went from, Christian, from Catholicism to Christianity. No, 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 no. You didn't go from Catholicism to Christianity. What you really did is you went all the way back to your roots. Because your roots from 2,000 years ago was what the early church was committed to, early disciples being devoted to the studying of God's Word to having koinonia and fellowship, to once again focusing on what Jesus Christ did on that cross and began to pray to God, you and God, you don't need a priest anymore. You can do that all by yourself. You can just pray to God through what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. You're just going back to where you came from. That's what you're doing and all God's people said. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. 
You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. Wouldn't it be great if there were accessible answers to our spiritual problems? Just like there's a smartphone app for calculating a tip or getting directions to a local store. Most of us have heard the phrase, there's an app for that, popularized by the creators of the iPhone. Well, God has an app for the common problems faced by Christians everywhere. Are you stressed out? God has an app for that. Problem with crude language or gossip? Struggling with prejudice? Brokenhearted? Anxious? Or depressed? God has an app for that too. Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, is available now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This helpful resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get God Has an App for That on our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Come and explore the book of James and discover God's user-friendly solutions for some of the biggest challenges we all face daily. Get your copy of Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, today. I'm Kyle Welch. We invite you to join us every weekday at this time when we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Pastor Dudley.